this Tuesday afternoon. It's one twenty-three, and I am very excited for our first guest of the programme today to who's joining us to take a bit of a trip back into history. Richie Bent. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank you for coming on the 123 Show. Thank you for show. inviting me. Um, so you're here today to talk about the Pock Fulham Valley and Village Cultural Heritage Project, Correct. which is a mouthful. It is. And so, so tell us a little bit, a little bit more about that. Um, it's essentially an initiative that's run by representatives of the village, Pock Fulham Village. Um, so when we're so I'm visualising Pock Fulham Village, what where are we talking about? So it's that section. Okay, if you imagine you're coming. From Aberdeen, you get to the brow of the hill and you've got Chifu Fayan, the yeah. estate, mm-hmm. and then you start coming down. Um, in front of you, you'll have on the left um, a white church it's called Bethany. It's actually yes. a sanatorium. Yep. In front, you'll have a whole bunch of white buildings in the far distance, which is things like Douglas Castle, part of Hong Kong U. Uh, and on the right, you'll have the village, which is basically a shanty town mm-hmm. to look at. It's quite colourful. Um, it goes in the valley um, and goes towards where the riding stables are. Right, sure. So that's the area. That's the area we're talking about. Yeah. That's, okay, so that's the Pockfulham village. Right. And why is that area significant? Um, it's significant for a number of reasons. Um, probably first and foremost is that it's got a long history that goes way back before um, the Brits came along. So it's way before 1839. Um, that village was occupied by three different clans. Um, and they were basically farmers, um, and that village began to grow. But um, certainly towards around about 1886, um, a decision was made to locate a farm there. Um, In 1886, be- okay. 1886, yeah. Because and it, goes um, it became a very, very large, um, a large farm. And um, that's what really caused the village to grow. The village grew from very few families to a few hundred families. Um, uh, and hence the significance. Um, Amazing. In, in terms of the, the valley itself, um, ecologically it's got a lot of firsts. So, for example, the Bohemia um, was discovered very close to that valley. Really? So that, yeah. that's, the, that's the flower of Hong Kong, our iconic flower. Correct. Yeah. It was discovered in that area. It was, yeah. Incredible. By uh, a French missionary. Oh. Um, what else? I mean, uh, there is the reservoir, uh, the first reservoir, uh, I think that was built in around about uh, 1865, um, and that's the first reservoir. Um, so the main source of water for Hong Kong at the time. Gosh, yeah. Um, and, the, and the actual farm itself became one of the largest integrated dairy farming uh, operations in the world, which would probably be quite surprising to, to some people. Absolutely, and I, I think you shared that there was, at the height of it, it had two and a half thousand head of cattle. Yes, Correct. In that, in that, in, which is just bizarre for us to think about now, as you drive past, not even thinking about the sort of shanty town, and you know, you fly past on the bus, but there were thousands of cattle. There were, in the they area. were, they were sort of in terraced paddocks. So there was about thirty-four, thirty-five of these paddocks, um, and the paddock would consist of a, a, a basically a cattle shed um, with cow hands. They lived in the cattle shed, not with the cows. They had a separate part. Oh, right, sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, you'd have a paddock in front, and you'd have a whole bunch of uh, cows there, usually between about 30, 40, in some cases 50. Um, and these were spread all across the hillside everywhere. Wow. Um, and so it would have been a very different landscape um, than we see now. Um, but certainly I remember it because I was here in the late 70s, which... So you remember show. it as, as that, yeah. And I was, a very, <laughs> I was just a child then. So. <laughs> as an infant, you remember it really vividly. As an infant, vividly. yeah, I have yeah, a great sure, recall sure. as an infant when I was here. Sure. So um, it's, also, it's, it's, it's really rich in history. Um, what's, I mean, your, your own uh, background, so you were with Jardines for 28 years. 
yeah. as head of Group HR. Is Correct. that right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so of course, Jardine's closely related to Dairy Farm. And yes. so, I mean, I mean, how else have you gotten involved in this project? Because it seems like it's, it's like pulling at a, a thread, right? It just seems there's more and more and more and more. Yeah, well, when I left Jardines, I thought that was it, to be honest. Um, but actually, life took off. Not that I didn't like Jardines, but <laughs> I quite like what I do now. No, um, I mean, essentially what happened was um, a dairy farm, the company came to see me and said the villagers were looking uh, for some help on, on what's the history of the, the so, valley. So the villagers themselves were really interested in the history of the valley? They were. Wow. For okay, a reason, cool. though, because yep. there was um, a fear that uh, the valley was going to be redeveloped. Mm. Um, and there was a plan to uh, knock down Wafu Estate and move it somewhere else. Um, so the fear was that that was going to go into the valley. And, mm. of course, as a result of that, the village would disappear. Um, you know, all the ecological aspects of the, the valley would disappear and so on and so forth. So um, so they, they came. They needed to, uh, some extent, show to the government that this um, valley and this village um, is of uh, both ecological and historical um, value and you know the village has a great heritage um, things like the fire dragon um, mm. ceremony and so on and so forth there's one there and there's one in in uh, Tai Hang but this is quite a big one in itself so there's lots of heritage attached to this village right. sure and were you aware of some of that heritage I mean obviously you'd known it from when you were here in Hong Kong in the in the late 60s but yeah. did you know did was it surprised you how much this village um, offers? it did I mean I knew about dairy farm itself and in i mean to your original question why did they come to me um, i've always had an active interest in history mm -hmm. but more so in the group history of jardines which mm. is rather colorful yeah, um, sure. it's herbal medicine origins amongst other things but um <laughs> but so so you know because of this interest this active interest um dairy farm came to me um to say could i help and help the villagers um, and the village is really a, a combination of two groups it's the caritas group mm -hmm. um, which is the catholic charitable group and certain representatives from the village and it's a big word and i can't really say to hold them but it's conserv it's a conservation group right um, and it's you know there are two people particularly involved there um, a chap called nigel co um, and, an, and another called steve chu mm -hmm. uh, and also um, the chairman of the village a chap called aaron wong so they, they were on the village side. And on the other side, a Caritas group, you have um, uh, someone called Benjamin Sin. Um, and he's assisted by someone called Eva. So um, they together work together to try and um, build, build the heritage or, or, or rediscover the heritage. Um, there is another angle to this, though. Yes, go. Okay. The other angle. Well, the other angle is that in this, uh, as part of this whole infrastructure, farming infrastructure, um, there is a property that's called Braemar, good Scottish word. Yes. Um, and Braemar was the farm manager's house. And oh. that was abandoned when the, the farm was abandoned in 1985 and it became mm -hmm. derelict. Mm -hmm. um, but what has happened as a result of the work of the, the, these, these two groups, the village and the, and the Caritas group, is that the government has agreed to turn that house, and it's a large house, probably, I can't remember, maybe four or 5,000 square feet with a couple of acres around it. Gosh, big, turn, big lands. It's big, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the government has um, contributed quite a lot of money, in fact, in excess of 50 million Hong Kong, to mm. redeveloping that and turning it into an eco ecological uh, or eco-historical learning centre. Oh, incredible. Fantastic. So in other words, you know, it's a sort of museum or well, they said, like to call it a museum. <laughs> um, that's quite good. Oh, I love a pun. That's great. <laughs> oh, no, that's fantastic. And so, I mean, in terms of how you've gone about 
so there's there's now it's great that you found the you know you you find this fact you you look into the history of the area there's value there that then there's now a move to preserve that value and to showcase it to others with a museum correct um i want to know a little bit more about how do you start finding like how do you start researching and digging mm. into this is it is it just interviewing villagers at you know archives i'm trying to imagine the the context of okay your, there's, your there's, life in this there's quite a bit on it um Firstly, there has been a, a book written on it by a guy called Nigel Cameron. He's unfortunately died now, but that was written in '86, which is really a pretty comprehensive history. Sure. So, so the farm, as you said, was abandoned in 1985. Is that right? Yes. So, yeah. So, in the, so a year later, he he came out. And he had written book. this this book. Yeah. So he he did a, a fantastic job in, in collecting information from all sorts of sources. Um, other information, so for example, um, they've managed to source a book from 1919, which is literally the manual of dairy farming wow. for that dairy farm. Oh my goodness. And it's 90 odd pages, it's full of photographs. Wow, um, from 1919? 1919, and they're sort of um, enhanced, they're not sort of photoshopped as we would, but you can see they've been touched up and everything. Um, so that's another source. Um, and then Jardines has a huge archive in Cambridge University. So. Um, I've spent a bit of my time in Cambridge University doing some, you know, sort of trawling through the archives, the which archives, was gosh. really uh, Lonely work. <laughs> Dry, dusty work. <laughs> All right, we want to keep chatting, but we're just going to go to a song for now. This is... Uh... Welcome back to The 123 Show on Tuesday afternoon. I'm Cruz McCallaghan and we're joined in studio by Richie Bent, who's been telling us all about the Pockfulham Valley and Village Cultural Heritage Project. So we're talking about that village as your... your cresting the hill brow of, you called it the brow of the hill that's a nicer metaphor the brow of the hill if you come up from aberdeen towards like queen mary hospital there's a kind of yeah yeah shanty shanty town on the the right by a chifu estate and that area which you've probably gone past you've ever gone down that road maybe not given it a second thought it's actually incredibly rich and fascinating so welcome back richie um and so we've um you were mentioning that within the village, there's two groups that are kind of um, part of the village. There's the Caritas Group, a church organisation, and then there's the villagers themselves. And um, you're saying, uh, who, who are the, the village itself now? Who occupies it? Who is it people from generations ago? Like, who's um, living there? Well, there's about 2,300 people in there. I may have that a little bit wrong, but it's roughly 2,300, um, of which probably around about 20% are either descendants of farm workers or farm workers themselves obviously they're getting on a little bit by sure yeah um <laughs> although they probably look at me and think i looked rather old that's <laughs> um, so um yeah so th those are essentially the people in there and the people who go about every day they're, they're working in town and you know elsewhere so mm. it's it's um they're not actually some are working in a village because you've mm. got little the odd little shop sure, there. little enterprises yeah. there but yeah. most of it, it it's the home for people mm. you know and generations mm. going back you know perhaps four maybe even five generations in some cases yeah, incredible and so what is the church connection why is caritas in, involved in the village okay well um the several i mean the church is all about creating communities caritas groups all about com uh, creating communities um bethany was chosen it was a sanatorium for all the missionary work for asia um was based here Goodness in, Be me. in bethany mm. um and it also had a superb printing operation so they printed bibles and other documents in around, around about 25 different languages so these are french missionaries french missionaries who were dying would come there to die uh, or to come there to recover sure um, so that's the sort of background to the church um if anyone's interested in it there's a very good 
book written by a guy called Alain Pichon, who's a historian French. Um, but um, so that's the sort of the background, why it was there. And they chose that particular area because it's very cool and everything else, you know, with the winds coming off. Right. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's a valley. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Which is the reason why, in, in, in fact, the farm was chosen. That was the location for the farm. The connection um, with Caritas is, amongst other things, apart from community, is that the previous, the last bishop, um, who unfortunately died, um, he was brought up in the village as well. Oh, really? Yeah, so, so he the, grew up there? Yeah, he grew up there. But um, if you look at the connection, so the, the, the church was there, the missionaries were there doing their thing, um, and the guy at the time who was running the operation uh, at the end of the uh, late 1800s, a, a chap called James Walker, he was a Scotsman, from Aberdeenshire that was brought in to basically manage the farm. And he did for about nearly 30 years in total. Um, but he noticed... So ma managing, so, so it's the dairy operation, they're bringing someone over from Scotland. They brought, yeah. they, they All the way over here to... The founder, a chap called Patrick Manson, was actually a, a parasitologist. Um, and so his, wow. his vision was to um, be able to provide the Hong Kong community with affordable and hygienic milk. And his affordable was less than 10 cents. Gosh, that was the fascinating. Idea. Right. So, now, so there was already, there was sort of international interest in people using this as a space to... to yeah, there was. I mean, it was, it was it clearly in those days, the Chinese didn't like milk. Mm. Um, it didn't agree with them. Mm. Um, so it was predominantly for the, the, the expatriate market that right. he was catering for. But of course, that's now um, changed considerably. So that, that's the background. He came mm. in. They realised that to run this big farm, because they lost a whole herd to a, to a, a disease called rinderpest um, in 1889. They lost a whole lot. Wow. Um, so um, what they, they needed to bring a professional in, they brought this guy in from Aberdeen. Um, he went to a place called the a Aylesbury Dairy Company in Britain, which was sort of the, the, the epicentre of all um, farming research. But it's a big farm in itself. It was sort of... Um, the centre of excellence for dairy farming, you would say. And it was internationally you known. He went, spe spent six months there, came across um, and started running a farm. What he noticed was that the missionaries had a small cable car system um, which they would bring the Bibles back and forth to, to save them carrying it. And being a canny Scotsman, he decided, <laughs> uh, this is not a bad idea. <laughs> so, so he would have... Um, so what he did, he approached this chap, I think his name was Monnier, if I remember, um, uh, one of the fathers and said can you design this for me um, and he did so they designed this cable car or ropeway system that went right down to where what was known as Telegraph Bay but it's now known as Cyberport mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the way up about 600 feet altitude up um, to the main part of the farm which was called the mains and that was used for bringing you know all sorts of things ranging from food for the cattle and moving things back and forth and of course if you think of clambering up the hills with all that was a pretty heavy duty that form. is amazing you've got so, like cyberport now like fintech and yeah. gaming and everything but actually it was a site of completely different kind of innovation it was it was technolo hundred years technologically ago. It was ahead of its time absolutely um, amazing so this went all the way down from sort of where telegraph base said cyberport and all the medicine bible all farm it, equipment farm equipment is going all the way up the hill all, all so the someone's not having to carry whether, it whether he, he sort of catered for amazing uh, the church i don't know but it was predominantly for the farm that's what it was used for um, I guess another interesting thing that may be of interest to your listeners is if you look at the, the hills as you, you come, the sort of swathes of grass, and it's not indigenous to Hong Kong, this. 
This is called guinea grass. Um, and what happened, when they set the farm up, it was all scrubland and there wasn't really any food. Um, and what happened was uh, Manson, Patrick Manson's partner was a chap called James Cantley, another Scotsman. Every, I don't know why everybody in Hong Kong is Scotsman. Um, <laughs> sure. He, he actually decided to import this. Originally, it was grown in East Africa, but um, the records appear to show that he brought this in from, from uh, India. Um, and the, the, this was grown, and, and this, this was great fodder for the cattle. Right. So they would grow this stuff, the cattle would eat it, they would then, it would go through their system, they would dump it in the form of music, uh, 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 manure. Mm. They would then liquefy that manure, send it back up the hills to where the grass is being uh, grown. So you had this ecological cycle. So again, it was way ahead of its time. Unbelievable. But yeah. of course, it, you know, I was just going to say, like, how do you feed that many cattle in that area where a lot of that, that um, like you said, that hillside, it was yeah. never really somewhere that cattle would have been so you have to be able to give them no i mean there's a lot of things you'll notice for example a lot of banyan trees banyan trees were grown to give the cattle shade so there's a there's a a, a much wow. greater density of banyan there probably than many other places what they did they grew more than enough of this guinea grass and they they would then whatever was left they would turn it into silage and they do that by putting it into these long 20-foot towers that were built of granite these are called silos and you can still there's still two that exist and one is readily available for people to go and have a look at. Um, and again, this was quite innovative because the silo was built of granite. It had a smooth interior. You'd put the, the, the sort of straw or the, the grass on the top with weights that would expel the air. And then this would actually ferment over the course of time so that in winter, the cattle would eat the silage. In other words, the fermented grass. Um, Goodness me. Whether it made them giggle because yeah, it came out, I don't know. But it's, uh, <laughs> they seem to look like pretty happy cows and things like that anyway. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And, and, and so all of this happened. How did it all come crumbling down? How did it, you know, an operation of that size and scope? Oh, it's it just big shenanigans of corporate world. Oh, sure. So in very short, very quickly, in 1972, Hong Kong Land um, acquired Dairy Farm, which was a, a separate company altogether. Mm -hmm. They wanted it really for the land leases that were there. Hence, Chi Fu. They built Chi Fu. Right. Um, so they had that up until about 1985. Um, and then in 1985, everything went to pot, as many of your listeners may remember. Um, and what happened was Hong Kong land span out Dairy Farm and also span out um, uh, Mandarin Oriental Group. Um, Dairy Farm was then owned by Jardine Matheson, but they only wanted it for the retail outlets right okay. um, and as a consequence they weren't interested in you know rearing in a farming operation, a farming yeah, operation. so farm. basically the farm was then wound down cows oh, right. were sold off um, and, then, and it was yeah as the Chinese say hi gum door but um, but yeah so that was the thing but you know and in many ways it was the cow that was the embryo to retailing operation. Now, you may wonder why that is. Mm. Um, from the cow's milk, they made ice cream. Um, uh, what happened was Dairy Farm in 1918, I think it was, bought a ice company called the Hong Kong Ice Company, uh, which meant they could then freeze this ice cream. And then they sold it in kiosks. So before it was B2B, so business to business, yeah, yeah. but then it became B2C, business to consumer, right. from these kiosks. And those were the sort of first ever retail outlets and then they grew and now you've got things like welcome mannings Gosh, IKEA. it all started with like ice cream 
Is that yeah, it all ice starts cream with ice cream. God, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. And it, it, but the village is still there. So that history, as of now, is still being preserved it's in some still degree. There. Uh, a number of the uh, uh, in, a lot of the infrastructure is still left. Things like manure pits, which aren't very exciting, <laughs> um, but uh, things like this, and all sorts of different parts of the infrastructure are still there, um, including, of course, the farm manager's house, which is the, the key focal point for what's going to be happening in the future, which I can talk about um, if yes, you'd like. Yes, please, please. I'd love, to, I'd love to hear about it. So, yeah, what, what happens next? How are they preserving okay, well, this? How are they showing so this? What's happening now, it's, you know, a lot of it's to do with, I think the government is pretty, um, uh, if you like, convinced that this is of historical significance. So that's that box picked. Mm. Um, a number of the artefacts have been listed. Um, so that uh, slows down the desire to develop there. Um, the museum now, the groundbreaking was about three weeks ago. Um, so we all wow, have to really wear recent. golden sure. hats and all that's quite good, actually. <laughs> Did you cut a big ribbon? Oh, no, it's No, it wasn't. It was like a big, yeah, a big sure. pile of dirt. Had to, gold shovel, sure. Yeah, gold shovels, exactly. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> um, and so we did that. Um, so it's up and running. So now the development's going on. And now a lot of it's about collecting artefacts. So one of the things we're looking for is a 1972 Massey Ferguson tractor. So okay. if any of your uh, listeners sure. have one of those. 1972 Massey Ferguson tractor. Correct. I can do a PSA for that. Yeah, yep, good. I can I can bring that <laughs> on this program. I can do that for the, until three o'clock today. I will request a 1972 Massey Ferguson tractor, if anyone's listening. Another thing we're looking, a lot of this is for the, for the children, the youth of Hong Kong, so that they understand that, you know, milk doesn't come from cardboard boxes on supermarket shelves. Mm. Um, so a lot of this is to sort of as an educational thing um, and this is going to be the main if you like um, customer base because people will come into this and it has to become self-sustaining within three years so it'll be selling dairy products people will be seeing things and so on and so forth. one of the things we're looking to do also is to establish a very small dairy farm um, and there's a, there's, wow. a, there's a real a, a real character who uh, who works on veterinary cycle Howie Wong who's been involved in this um, and he's very um, enthusiastic about it and he's somebody who we're trying to pull in to help us um, do this so it's the real thing sort of in a little bit like Ocean Park you can see the animals yeah, of and, course yeah and yeah right. so the idea you is the origins. a few few I mean this is it's a long way off this but that's the the next thing and the idea is eventually this becomes a very very a well recognized heritage. Um, area, both with the village and the history of the village and the culture of the village, the farm um, and all the bits and pieces of the buildings, whether it be Bethany or the silos, you know, even have octagonal um, uh, uh, octagonal cow sheds, which are very, very unique to Hong Kong. And they wow. used to milk the cows on a, a sort of hub and spoke system. Gosh. So they're way ahead of their time. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then, and like you said, if they, if this hadn't, if the villagers hadn't put their hands up to say, "Oh, sorry, I think maybe someone should look into this before you bulldoze us," we've got a lot of stories to tell that maybe the stories wouldn't yeah. have been told. So no, that's they've amazing. Done a fantastic job. Incredible. I mean, unbelievable. And I think there's a trend that people are. I mean, I know myself. People of yeah. my generation, you know, we we are interested in history again. You know, yeah. it's not all about the shiny new things. It's also about the understanding the the reality of where everything came from the story right yeah. everyone wants the story yeah that's no, great and, and it's good to have dairy farm on board because they're very keen to both preserve their history yeah uh, but also help as they can you know in terms of the community so that's that's very helpful as well and it's been particularly helpful for me because i've had access to i mean the archives were really a bunch of cardboard boxes everywhere so sometimes <laughs> you know um, yeah. yeah but we've got a, we've got quite a good photograph archive now um from so going way back to the early 1900s. 
Um, and it's all me. sort of coming together. Oh, that's yeah. absolutely brilliant. I'm so happy. Um, it just fills me with joy knowing these things are still happening in Hong Kong and that they, they are, are happening and there's positive things there. Mm. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Richie. Um, I will make sure to share when the museum finally is up and running. We'll definitely share that with our listeners. Uh, that's Richie Bent uh, speaking with us about the Park Fulham Village um, and Valley Pockfulham Valley and Village Cultural Heritage Project. Um, thank you very, and, and of course, if anyone knows about a 1972, remind me. 1972 Hong Kong land. Hong Kong of tractor, tractor. Oh, the tractor. The tractor. Yeah, Ma- 1972 Massey Ferguson tractor. Okay, 1972 Massey Ferguson tractor. All right, I'll keep. I'll, Massey, I'll, I'll do that. We'll find one. I'm sure we'll find one. Um, this. Thank you very much, Richie, for your time. This is Paul Weller, and from the floorboards up.